What is often forgotten in this debate is the human cost to kleptocracies. And Bill explained that really rather beautifully. Max, can you give me an idea of what it's like for ordinary people living under a kleptocratic regime? Sure. I obviously can't give you direct experience, but some of the stories that we hear are really just heartbreaking in the sense that there's so much money that could have gone to highways and roads and, and hospitals. And if we think, for example, about the Isabel dos Santos case in Angola, those billions that we were talking about, those big numbers, that is the direct cost of healthcare and hospitals and schools. And it directly affects the people who did not get to benefit from that. So that is literally people dying or not getting treated for their sicknesses or their kids' sicknesses. Angola has a fairly high child mortality rate. Children are dying. Oh, absolutely. It's got one of the highest in the world. I don't know the exact number, but it's absolutely that one of, one of the highest of the world. So, And one of the complicated things with these stories is that the chain of causality, if you will, is so long. So it's so hard to tell the story of, OK, that bank or that accountant or that real estate agent in Paris or London or L.A. or anywhere, there's a direct link between those two events. And it's just such a difficult story to tell about the money came from the state's budget in Angola. And instead of going to help those people, it ended up going through a shell company and then going through a bank. And all these complications make it so difficult to focus minds, if you will, on the consequences when, in fact, there is a direct link. It's just a complicated one. Mark, you have experience of the human cost in Cambodia. Yes, I uh, first visited Cambodia in 2010, but just by way of background, listeners will know about Pol Pot uh, era of 1975 to January 1979. And indeed, Pol Pot himself went on living in Cambodia right through until 1998. Nearly all professionals, uh, whether doctors, lawyers, teachers, accountants, were executed during that period. And that left the country really bereft of uh, professionals. As one indication of that, the first Cambodian to qualify with a professional qualification in accountancy didn't do so until 2003, a full 24 years after the Khmer Rouge. But, but, But what about the human cost? We're talking about something that was 40 years ago. What is the country like now? Is it well in two thousand ten? What what are the people like living there? Are they hungry? Are they without sanitation? What is the human cost forty years on? In two thousand ten, the human costs were indeed very very high, and GDP per capita was about well was well under eight hundred US dollars a year. I travelled hundreds of miles in Cambodia. The deforestation was on an industrial scale, and you can just imagine the impact that has on village communities. The countryside had really a very agrarian economy, vast numbers working in backbreaking and uh, and very hot temperatures. And the big impression I got in 2010 were the very, very large numbers of students that were coming in from the countryside to study, to start university. And that, for me, really showed this incredible hope of a new generation against a background of really, really deep impacts that had hit so so many parts of the economy and of education and, and health. And was it, is it a failing state or was it a failing state? Cambodia was very much living in the shadow of the Khmer Rouge and the impacts of that until quite recently. I am glad to say that since 2010, GDP has doubled. There's an awful lot of new business happening and the signs are 
much, much more optimistic. There is now a great opportunity, finally, well over a generation and a half later, that Cambodia can recover, albeit it's going to be a long journey. And so the ICAEW is involved there. So when were you called in? Who called you in? And what do you do? In 2012, 2013, once I realised much more about the very difficult challenges facing the accountancy profession, I mean, there were only about uh, 60, 70 qualified professional accountants then. And by the way, we often look at the index, the ratio of professional accountants in a country, particularly national professionals who are well versed in national tax, national law to population. And in uh, UK or Singapore, uh, the ratio is uh, between 1 to 175 and 180. Uh, Whereas in Cambodia around that time, and indeed still today, the ratio is 1 Cambodian professional accountant to 60,000 of the population. So how come the ICAW is working in Cambodia? Okay, well, just uh, by way of context, ICAW has completed over 60 capacity building projects in about 35 countries. Most of our early projects were funded by the World Bank and done in partnership with the World Bank. Those were projects across Africa and across Asia, indeed. Our very first projects were in Bangladesh. With Cambodia, we are working with a number of different donors, including the Asian Development Bank, the United Nations Development Programme, and indeed the government of Cambodia itself. So what do you do there? Okay. Um, you said capacity building. What on earth is that? The accountancy capacity building has a number of different strands, really, and we go in and look very much at where the capacity is weakest. So I mentioned that in Cambodia there is only one professional Cambodian accountant to 60,000. So our big goal in this area is to train much, much bigger volumes of accountants and to train them at two different levels. So in November, for example, last year, we launched an accounting technician qualification, and that's going to be taught by a very large number of universities. So we've got very specific targets to train thousands of young Cambodians and to make accountancy a very good career choice in Cambodia. We're about to do the same in 2020 in relation to professional accountants, And in addition to all that, we're working with the Asian Development Bank to really improve compliance and enforcement of those accountants that are working in Cambodia. So like regulation after they're trained. And it's not just Cambodia, though. There's lots of countries, failing states that you work with. Yeah, we've worked with 20%. That's 12 of the top 60 states that are in the Fragile States Index. Max, what's your response to what ICAEW is doing? Training accountants, improving regulation, building capacity. It sounds like a really, really promising initiative. I think the challenge is how to multiply those by a thousand. And that's not the responsibility of a single professional body. This is a responsibility of government, basically. It should be more governments in developed countries investing in this type of initiative. And not just in terms of getting maybe accountants and real estate agents and lawyers to train their profession, but also to help 
the national authorities, the supervisory bodies, for example, the Financial Crime Police, to give a very concrete example. We hear story after story and report after report where the Financial Crime Police, who are supposed to investigate these types of cases and work with accountants who are trying to do the right thing, just don't have the resources they need. Or they try to get information from their counterparts, for example, in Europe, and it takes months and months. So there are basic things that governments also have to be investing in in terms of their own capacities, to use the term. So, so I think it's, it's important to, to note that taking this type of initiative to scale and making it really put a dent in, in, in the problem is going to take a lot more than, than, than just training by single professions, right? If, if I might just, just add to Max, I mean, one of the really big challenges when you start a project is to reach up as high as you possibly can into the government and to get them to see the national benefits. Particularly, we always quote the importance of revenues, of bringing people over from the informal economy into the formal economy. And once you kind of talk in this kind of language, then they start to see enforcement, for example, very much as a benefit and not a cost. So people avoiding paying tax. Indeed, yeah. In reference to Isabel dos Santos, she has responded to recent corruption allegations denying all wrongdoing. Dos Santos and her husband said they owed their success to hard work and business acumen and she's accused Angola's current president of pursuing a politically motivated witch hunt against her and her family.